Hello, everyone, and welcome to a weekend review episode of the One Nerd and One Jaw College Football Talk podcast. As always, my name is RJ, and joining me back from vacation and uh, stepping into this podcast the way that Michael Penix Jr. steps into the national spotlight with a strong performance, it's Mark. Mark, how you doing today? And are you ready to live up to those expectations? Uh, I'm rested and I'm ready. Let's talk about some good old college football. All right, so let's uh, let's not waste any time and let's get into our opening kickoff for this past week. And uh, I'll go ahead and start. And that's uh, we're starting to get some more data points, and we're starting to to understand who these teams actually are, who they who they beat is starting to carry a little bit more weight, or sometimes some less weight. And uh, you know, I think that we're starting to get some ideas on some other teams. That said. You say that, but yeah, they're the best conference. They're the most represented in the top 10, top 15. I mean, hands down, you could put up their top 10 against any other conferences, top 10. And I guarantee if we had had actually picked who's going to win, we'd probably go with the SEC. So we can hate all we want. But hey, man! Sometimes you just gotta you gotta join them. If you can't uh, if you can't beat them, you gotta join them, and that's kind of what kind of the boat I've been in. I used to be a I used to be a hater, but hey, man! The more and more you look at it, you, the more and more you realize that those teams are just a little bit better than most. I'll give you the top two teams in the country right now are definitely from the SEC. I don't know about Kentucky and Arkansas and Tennessee floating around at the bottom of the top 10 there. We'll see what happens. I I was really convinced on Arkansas and then they struggled a little bit this past weekend. So that uh, makes me question some things, but Anyway, what's what's your big takeaway? Well, my biggest takeaway week? is a little bit of an overreaction. Obviously, as a Duck fan, maybe the Pac-12's not dead. I think there's a chance. I'm smelling a chance. Is is that chance coming? Yeah, out probably of more Los realistically. Angeles? But what this does do, I think, is it gives Oregon a chance to control their own destiny again. Uh, with a win like that, if they can find a way to win throughout the season, beat USC and maybe a, a championship game, there's a chance. I'm smelling a chance. I'm not 100% sure that Oregon is even the second best team in their conference. The the aforementioned Mike Penix Jr. and Washington might have something to say about that. And I don't know that Oregon is or uh, that Utah is quite dead yet either. So I'm actually really looking forward to, to seeing how the Pac-12 season shapes up. That said, I'm really hoping that that loss that Oregon had against Georgia and the Utah loss to Florida don't come back and bite the Pac-12 because, man, I, I I would hate to see them get left out with three or four really good teams and, and get left out because they end up... I just don't think that's going to be the case. I think, you know, one loss, especially being in the first one or two games in the season, when you look at the, the turmoil in college football this year with all the transfers coming in and the new head coaches and everything like that, I think people will be a lot more apt to look the other way against a uh, week one or a week two loss than even in years past. And, I mean, the committee has shown that they're willing to look past losses. So I don't see it being that big of a deal. Um, I think late season losses or unexplainable losses mean a lot more than, you know, week one losses. I I definitely agree with you. I, I think that uh, as long as the Pac-12 keeps looking good, they should be in good shape. But 
enough uh, prognosticating and predicting. Let's get into some recap and review. And I know that there is no way on earth that we're going to keep you from from not talking or that we're going to keep you from talking about this game. So let's just dive in to BYU 20, Oregon 41. I'm sure you loved listening to Jackson and I say how high we were on BYU and how certain we were that BYU is going to win that one and you know I, I i'm here to listen to you tell me how dumb yeah, I, mean, I, I was just kind of listening and snickering to myself um it, had it been not at Autzen and not week three week four i could definitely see where some of that attitude could be coming from but i definitely wasn't down and out on oregon quite yet and again i'm not necessarily thinking they're going to win the championship now or anything like that but you give a new coach a little bit of time to install their culture and especially if you looked at where Oregon did struggle against Georgia, well, it was both sides, but really defense. Defense is where they have been struggling the most. So you have to give the new coach a couple weeks to, to start banding his, uh, his game plan in. So, and I think we saw that holding BYU just to 20 points. Yeah, I, I will say, as we were previewing this game, and, and as I was listening back to it, I'm like, we didn't, we aren't giving Oregon nearly enough credit because quite frankly, I, I do think that after being a, a real big doubter early on in the season, I think that Georgia is far and away the best team in college football. While I, I think that Oregon could have done a lot better in that game, I also am not putting too much stock in what happened there. BYU has had some good wins and has some, played some good games, but Looking back, we definitely did not give Oregon enough credit. So uh, I, I don't blame you for. Yeah, for I just hope it's a sign us. of you know what's to to come and keep keep seeing at Oregon too. I think this was the first game I've watched since Chip Kelly's been there that I felt like, hey, this is Oregon again. Like this is that run and gun style of offense that we kind of brought to the spotlight a little bit. And the hurry up was uh, was seen in full force and balanced attack of running and passing. And we're going to get on the edge. We're going to be fast. We're going to be physical. And then, oh, by the way, our quarterback still can throw the ball. And we're going to drop in 30, 40 yard dimes. So it was a, it was a great mix. You know, Bo Nix throwing for 222 yards and two touchdowns was great. Um, I also like the fact that we have uh, four running backs. Yeah, four running backs over 30 yards. So they're spreading the ball in the backfield, which is always good. Uh, two running backs working. Only three well, running backs because the other one was okay. Nick. Okay, four backs, still counts, though. though. Yeah, yeah. Four, four backs, still though, over 30 yards. Nice uh, and very... Uh, yes, which is again, there. if you if you are an Oregon fan out there listening, and you remember the old days, that's what it always was about. It was always about having a stable of running backs that, when the stud was taking a breath, the next guy up could easily break a 99 yard touchdown run whenever they wanted to. And I'm starting to see that in that backfield. Um, so that's really exciting for me to to watch as an Oregon fan that run and gun style offense, the fast style of offense, still mix in with a little bit of we'll run the ball down your throat. That's got me excited more, more so than anything, more so than the win that the Oregon style being restored has probably got me more excited than the win itself. So, uh, and just to piggyback off of that, if I remember right about Chip Kelly's offense, the highlights of it were how fast they were scoring and, you know, all the plays that they were running and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if I remember right, that was primarily based around that really that power run and that read option and those more inside runs. So to see something that seems sustainable in, again, you had two running backs go over 50 yards, one of them almost break a hunt 
or break out to a, a hundred yards to see two more, including your quarterback, you know, putting up some respectable rushing numbers, I think is, is something that is sustainable. And, and I agree with you. I think it's good to see kind of that getting back to it. What I will say, though, and, and a word of caution that I will have for you, don't forget that, yes, you held BYU to 20 points. Neither of their top two receivers caught a pass in this. Neither of them were really any factor. Uh, that's that's not to say that that, that would have made up the 21-point difference, but I do think that had either of them played any type of significant factor in this, that is at least a closer game. Yeah, but the thing that I'm actually more excited about on the defensive side is the fact that we held a team to 61 total yards of rushing. I mean, if you start looking at teams that are going to win the national championship or who are going to be able to be poised to beat good teams, that's where it starts. Because if, if you're going to tell me that we can completely take away somebody's rushing attack and make them beat us in the air, I'm fine with that game plan every time because that's college football. Make the other quarterback play as good as your quarterback and as good as your offense. And if Oregon can stay balanced and not become one-dimensional, and they can rush the ball and pass the ball, and they force the other team to be one-dimensional, that's how you win college football team or games. If you look at college football stats, most of the time the one, the very lopsided, one-sided uh, offensive spread, if it's more passing, is probably going to be the one who's behind trying to fight back. The team that's more balanced is normally going to be winning. So the fact that we got 227 in the air and 212 on the ground, I'm all about that. Yeah, I, I think, I, I like I said, I do think there are a lot of really positive takeaways out of this game for Oregon. And just seeing them kind of come back to life is is good as somebody who, who does root for them. Obviously not nearly as much as you, but it, I appreciate the fact that they uh, really came came to life a little bit in this one both offensively and defensively so I was really happy to see that so are there any other things specific about this game that you want to talk about I know you could probably do a, a whole episode on on this game and you know what what made you so excited about it yeah I mean I, I really hit on most of the, the key points that I'm really excited about um, and again with me being traveling and stuff like that this was the the one game that I devoted the most time to obviously um, so with that being said I'd love to hear a little bit more of maybe a breakdown of a couple games that you watched this weekend this will probably bore a lot of people, but obviously the, the big game that I ended up watching was the Notre Dame-Cal game, uh, obviously because I'm a Notre Dame fan. And like you, I, I found a lot of reasons for optimism. Uh, I don't I still don't think that I'm as optimistic as you are on your team uh, as, as I am on Notre Dame. I think that made sense. But just for me... It was it was a good to, to get a win. So for the first time this year, we both or both of our teams got a win in one week. So that was good. But for me, again, seeing the like you said, seeing the rushing attack get going and then seeing the passing kind of get going. That said, I still have a lot of concerns about that. Uh, but but really, when I think back onto the Notre Dame teams that have been successful, I, I think back onto ones that have leaned on their offensive line and their rushing game and then their defense. And it seems like traditionally when they have struggled, they will, they, the, the running game will basically get gunked up and then the passing game where, you know, is suddenly having to make eight, nine yard gains on second and third down to stay with the sticks or, or, you know, to make the, the first down. And to me, just watching this game, it felt like they weren't asking 
pine to do too much and, and that was good for me to see because at this point i don't know that he's a game winner i think that he has to be someone that you can win games with not because of which to a certain extent i think has been notre dame's identity for the past basically in the brian kelly era so it was good to to see that start to get reestablished. Uh, obviously he'll need to take some steps for, or pine will need to take some steps forward i don't know well the quarterback position as a whole will need to take steps forward. I don't know if that's a coaching, a recruiting, a scheme. I I don't know exactly what's going to get that done. But seeing the running game get going, start to get that identity back. And then conversely, seeing the defense not have to run out there every two minutes, every three minutes, because the offense was actually moving the ball, certainly gave me a lot of hope. Yeah, and it looked like Notre Dame was back to normal Notre Dame, uh, losing for most of the game to a team that they probably shouldn't be losing to, and then finding a way to win. So, <laughs> uh, You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to dispute that too much. Uh, I certainly scared my dog a little bit with some yelling. And I think at one point I even said, bring out the Jaeger bombs because, holy cow, I was miserable. Yeah, because they, they trailed well, most the of that game, well. right? 10-7 ten, ten, um, in the second, and then, what, 17-14 in the third? And then Notre Dame scored 10 in the yeah. fourth? Just looking at the box score. Yeah. 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 A, little bit, a so little bit of a nail-biter. It didn't necessarily feel like that. And, and then, of course, they had the, oh, the stupid last drive gave me all sorts of nightmares because they got an interception like one or two plays into it and it got called back because of targeting which in fairness it was 100 percent targeting there's i mean they're going to show that at the referees conference next year when they talk about targeting so you know that got called back and then instead of just knocking the ball into row 15 they tried to intercept the hail mary uh, in the end zone, and it almost ended up getting caught. So that was speaking of hail marys, though. Too did you did you catch the end of the absolute uh, the apps eight game? I I actually did not. I I kept hearing about how crazy that was and and everything, but I did did not get a chance to catch the end of that. That said, I'm I was a little bit surprised. I never think of Troy as necessarily being a. Um, I think of Troy as being the team that. Alabama schedules when they want an active bye week. Yeah, you're not wrong, but I think I think the environment of having like college game day there and everything was just a lot for both teams. So I think Troy kind of used that to the advantage. You know, App State was that team that was supposed to come in and they're the big team now in the Sun Belt and they're supposed to just mop the floor with everybody else. Look at them. They're beating power five teams. And um, that whole environment, I think, was kind of good for both teams. But I think Troy kind of fed off that. You know, a lot of times you can get that bunker mentality where it's the world against us. And then sometimes that is enough to spark a lot out of a team. But yeah, App State would have lost that game. Hail Mary. Guy goes up and they tip it back. Guy catches it in like the seven yard line, runs it in for the touchdown. And then I think they had to go for two for a two point conversion, get it, win. I'm I'm actually watching it right now. So so listeners, you will get the joy of of uh, me reacting to this live. But yeah, so so again, this is yeah throws it well short, and then just this is an example of why you just knock the ball down or knock it like. 
50 rows into the stands because absolutely uh they they just basically knock it straight into the hands of the the receiver and uh yeah that's not really where you want your hail mary tip to go so but yeah i mean absolutely he catches that on like the seven or eight yard line and then has to run his way in. That That's why we love this game, is because you get moments like that where a team probably shouldn't win, and then they pull a miracle out of the hat. So I was going to say, overall, it looks like the top 10 made it out unscathed. Didn't really, didn't really see any movement out of the top 10. Um, Arkansas did look like it had the biggest scare, um, gave up 27 points, but uh, it looks like the... The rest of the top 10 did okay, and obviously Sparty, as we alluded to many times already, uh, they met uh, Penix <laughs> in uh, wa- Washington. Washington won pretty good, um, and that was at UW. So. Talking real quick about that Arkansas game, what makes me so nervous about that Arkansas team is that, remember, Missouri State is FCS. This was in Fayetteville, and they needed a 21-point fourth quarter to end up winning this? Like, come on, that's that's not good enough to be a, a if you're trying to call yourself a, a top 10 team, that's not good enough right there. And I'm not saying that Arkansas is not a top 10 team, they just need to show it next week, uh, which I, I'm sure that we'll talk about that game against Texas A&M coming up, but... Yeah, do you think it was maybe just a little bit of a look-ahead game, though? Uh, we got this active we got this active bye. Yeah, well, let's just, you know, let's start game planning a little bit maybe for Texas A&M or, hey, let's even as players like, oh, hey, like, hey, we're playing Missouri State. Uh, let's let's take it a little bit easier this week. Let's not get banged up. And then let's, let's make sure we're ready for Texas A&M and then our huge conference schedule that's coming up. Because, I mean, if you look at their schedule that's coming up, it is a doozy. You got A&M, Bama, Mississippi State. State, BYU, Auburn. I mean, it's I mean, it's a it, it's a pretty good test. Uh, that could certainly be the case in that they didn't spend time game planning for Missouri State. Maybe Missouri State, you know, kind of sprung something on them. But for me, it's something where they shouldn't have been in that position, but the fact that they got the win is good. That said, they're going to have to do a lot better this upcoming week if and and they they very well might. Again, like you said, it might have just been a look-ahead game, kind of a trap game. That's the reason why I hate when, te- when especially these Power 5 teams schedule these FCS teams. But at the same time, that's never going to change. So, you know, it is what it is. Let's get over it. But speaking of who they get to face next week in that Texas A&M, uh, if, if you listen to Jackson and I talking about this Texas A&M-Miami game, we were both pretty confident that Texas A&M was going to win, and in fact, they were one of our picks of the week was Texas A&M to cover. They did, in fact, cover, and when I look at this team, I still have concerns because at the end of the day, I still don't know if Miami's any good. I I look at their schedule, and they... Their wins don't impress me. Their loss to Texas A&M didn't really show me anything that impressed me offensively. So to me, I just, I wonder, or I, I guess not I wonder, but it, it to me, I wonder how good Texas A&M really is. And, and I know that I've been a doubter all year long, but at the same time, that offense is struggling. Only putting up 17 points here, only put up 14, I believe, last week. That's a... That's not what you want to see against two teams that are maybe, well, definitely not the strongest offenses that you, or defenses that you're going to face this year. 
Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you. I mean, if you look at the, these are supposed to be the get ready games for the most part. I mean, normally teams may play one really good team in the first three games. Um, but most of the time, these are kind of the get ready games, the get right games. And uh, I have to agree with you. They don't look, they don't look very strong uh, on the offensive side of the ball. I think they're doing okay on the defensive side of the ball. And that's probably what they're going to need to carry them. But Man, they got to figure something out on offense, something to give them the spark that they need. And uh, I don't know if they're going to find it or not. I, I think they're still – Texas A&M may just be a little bit too green. They may be a, a year or two out, um, you know, and I think that's kind of where uh, the U is. You know, I think Miami is probably more like five, six years out, though. I mean, I think it's going to take Cristobal some time. Um, but I think he's a hell of a recruiter. And that is his area. So I think eventually we're going to see Miami start coming to, to, to light. But I definitely think they're getting a little bit too much love and a little bit too much hype right now. So um, I totally agree with, with most of that. And, uh, yeah, I definitely had Texas A&M winning as well. So I was, uh, I was happy with that. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question about Texas A&M. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Their next three games versus Arkansas at Mississippi State at Alabama. How many of those games does Texas A&M need to win for Jimbo Fisher to be coaching at South Carolina after a bye week after Alabama? See, I don't know. Like I think the, I think the realistic expectation, oh man, I would say like their expectations probably going to be winning at least two of those games. I just I have them winning maybe one. So I think that's where I think that's where it could be interesting. But the other thing you have to kind of look at, there's there's one of two stories, right? Either it is the money, the boosters, the NIL deals, and all that stuff that are bringing all those kids there, or it's Jimbo. Yeah. So and if it's if it's the case where hey Jimbo's the guy bringing bringing all this in and orchestrating all this, you're gonna give him another couple of years. Those are his boys. Those are his team. I mean that's his team. You kick him out now, you don't with a transfer portal. You don't know if those cats are staying. I mean, you just don't know these things. So that's where, like, I, I think if, unless it's all NIL deal and all money, and that's truly how they got most of those recruits, I think Jimbo's pretty safe this year. I don't I don't see it being, unless he starts losing, like, all the games, you know, then, then yes, there's going to be some red flags and the seat's probably going to get really hot. But I think yeah, that's pretty much what it would take. Just with, just with how the structure of college football is nowadays, those kids had to want to play there, want to play with him a, a smidgen. Otherwise, they would have went someplace else because there's money everywhere. So oh, yeah. for that, recruiting is is everything. I mean, again, it may not be this year, but if those kids mature another year or two and then they add another huge recruiting class, eventually those three and four and five kids that hit are going to add up and they are going to be studs. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I can't imagine... The, the only way that I can imagine Jimbo not coaching at South Carolina is if they get ran by Arkansas and Alabama and don't and that offense still doesn't look good against Mississippi State. You mean Texas A&M, if, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Texas okay. A&M. What did, what did I say? You said South Carolina. I was like, oh, I didn't. No, no, no. Like, I, Sorry. The game at South Carolina. Gotcha. The game at South Carolina. Sorry, yes. Gotcha. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, the only way that I don't see him coaching Texas A&M's game at South Carolina is if, again, Arkansas and Alabama beat them by, you know, probably a combined 70, maybe more. Because if, you know, e- even if Alabama, which 
I think Alabama is going to come out hunting for A&M's head there. I don't think that Nick Saban would um, mind at all being the last game that Jimbo coaches at Texas A&M. Not at all. There's definitely some bad blood, and if anything, you know Nick Saban can be can be a little bit bitter when it comes to that stuff. So I could definitely see him running the score up and having a heyday there, if uh, if at all possible. Yeah. So I, I could. I'm not saying I think this will happen, but I could definitely see a scenario where we could see Alabama winning that game by 50. I don't. I don't think that's enough to get Jimbo fired, but we'll see. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. One bad loss like that, and he might have kids fly into the transfer portal uh, before the season even ends. Enough about that game. Were there any other games that kind of caught your eye? I, I have a, a couple. We we talked about a little bit about that Washington versus uh, Michigan State game. Obviously, Washington 39, Michigan State 28. To me, that that whole game can be summed up with three words, and they are Michael Penix junior yeah he looked like a stud i mean he was throwing darts all over the place i watched the game uh the game replay on that and uh man he was just lighting the field up touched every part of the field and uh definitely displayed that he can make all the throws needed i just hope he stays healthy i mean that's been the one bugaboo for him uh throughout his whole football career obviously most recently at iu i think he got hurt two or three seasons um there so he's never completed a season yeah, so I really hope he finds a way to stay healthy. Um, obviously, this is a, this could be a really big year for him too. And I mean, I like I like Washington being alive because again, that helps the Pac-12. The more relevant all the teams are, then that helps the Pac-12. In years past, uh, it's really only been one or two teams in the Pac-12, so it kind of kills the relevancy. So I, I mean, I like Washington being back. So let's go, Penix, as long as it's not against the Ducks. <laughs> yes, I because he got hurt so early last year and how bad IU was without him last year. It, it is so easy to forget how good he was in 2020 in that COVID year when he was talked about as a Heisman candidate and, you know, maybe a high end draft pick as a quarterback. I think it's easy to forget that because he was out last year and because IU was so bad last year. But with him healthy, Washington has a dog, man, that, that, uh, he, he is good. And if he can stay healthy this year, he will be a Heisman candidate. I'm not saying that he will outright win it. If he can, if he can stay healthy, he will at least get consideration for it. Mm, Overreaction Monday. Maybe, 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 but tell me though. If Washington wins the Pac-12, do you could you see it? I mean, I could see it only because if Washington finds a way to win the Pac-12, I mean, he would have definitely put that team directly on his back. Because, I mean, you look at they beat Michigan State. Michigan State's offense has not looked stellar yet this season, and they still found a way to put those kind of points on them. So if they find a way to hold down like a Utah offense or if, if it continues an Oregon offense, yeah, I, I would I would say that'd be pretty impressive because I would imagine most of those games are going to be in the 48-45 kind of category. So if he can uh, if he can put his cape on and find a way to do that consistently and uh, put up those kind of numbers consistently, then 
yeah, I'll give it to you, but consistency, consistency, consistency is the number one thing that you need, and I'm not sure he has that. Plus, the number one skill and the number one ability is availability, so he has to make sure and maintain that. And I'm, I don't know, when you have to put the team on your back, you're going to have to start doing some crazy stuff. When you do crazy stuff, that availability might be challenged. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I would love to see him do that, and I would love to see him play a full year. I just, I'm not holding my breath for it, because as I said, he hasn't done it yet in his college career. I don't think that this is the year that it happens, but hey, I'd love to be wrong there. And uh, speaking of being wrong, and, and offenses that are struggling... Iowa finally found the end zone more than once in a game. In fact, they found it twice in one quarter. Uh, still did not hit the over in that game. I think the safest the safest bet in America right now is I, the Iowa game hitting the under. Uh, but I did want to point out that, hey, they surprised me a little bit in that they did score more than 10. So, hey, good for Yeah, them. against the worst team in college football this year. They are literally comparing Nevada to UConn of last year. Yeah, yeah, that's it, uh, only putting up twenty-seven. Yeah, yeah, it's um, I I think we were both at least fairly high on Iowa. I think we both had them as, if not one of the top five teams in the Big Ten, like sixth maybe at worst. Yeah, I think I had them lower in their division though, mostly because I mean their offense is atrocious. But I could be wrong. I think they might have got a little bit more favor just because of where they finished last year. But holy smokes. Yeah, I that offense is just oh. That was the one under I bet though. I mean, I never, <laughs> never bet unders because again, it just it, it it just I have to watch for bad football and defense and just hope for no scoring. Boring, but hey, that's <laughs> I mean it's Iowa. I mean at this point, I think you're 100 correct. The safest bet right now in college football: fade, fade, fade. Iowa's over. Oh my gosh. It- I, I honestly don't know what Iowa would have to, or like what Vegas would have to put up for me to actually question betting the under on, on Iowa. Because last week it was 39 and a half, and I'm just like, they haven't, there haven't been 40, ga- 40 points in Iowa's two games yet. Hell yeah, I'm going to bet the under on that. <laughs> but moving on quickly from that... Uh, any other ones that you want to get into, or do you want to go through the top 10 a little bit? Uh, let's go ahead and uh, run through the top 10 a little bit. Yeah, so uh, this week's top 10 going into week three coming out of, or sorry, coming out of week three going into week four is number one, Georgia, number two, Alabama, number three, Ohio State, number four, Michigan, number five, Clemson, six, Oklahoma, seven, USC, eight, Kentucky, nine, Oklahoma State, and 10, Arkansas. I think at the beginning of the year, back when we did our preseason poll episode, we had talked about how, well, we gave our predictions for the top 10, and we said that we were going to check back after week two. Obviously, you weren't here to do that last week, but the good news is the only change was Kentucky moving up one spot, Oklahoma State moving down one spot. So let's uh, really quickly revisit those uh, preseason polls or uh, those preseason predictions that we had yeah i like i like winning you like winning well good i have good news for you then because you were a little bit more accurate than i was uh although we did have the same number of teams in the top 10 you predicted some more correctly 
Let's go ahead and get to it, though. You had Notre Dame at number 10. I had them at number 7. Obviously, they are out. The actual number 10 team, Arkansas. Neither one of us had it there. Uh, at number 10, I had Oregon. You had them higher at 8. Let's move on to number 9, Oklahoma State. Uh, I actually had them at number 9, so I get a little bit lucky with the poll being this week. Uh, as that's the only team that I correctly placed. Go me. Uh, you did not have them in there. and uh, I. But if I remember right, they were one of your just-out teams. Uh, you had USC at number 9. I had them out. Uh, they are obviously number seven, so a little bit more optimistic, or a little bit uh, higher up than you were expecting. What what have you seen that you like from them so far? I think uh, originally, like when we talked about doing that poll, uh, I thought they were going to be another two years out, or at least another year out. It looks like they've accelerated it. Uh, Lincoln Riley's found a way to mold that team together in a fashion that I didn't necessarily think he was going to be able to do this quickly. And I think they're going to be dangerous. So I think I'm gaining, gaining, gaining more confidence in USC. And uh, I, I'm pretty excited to watch them play in the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, I, I'm i with you. I thought going into the season they were probably at least a year or two out. They still might be. We'll, we'll have to see how they do against Utah, Washington, Oregon, et cetera, et cetera. But certainly doing better than than I thought they were going to this year. Uh, number eight, Kentucky. Neither one of us had them in the poll. Uh, at number eight, as I said, you you had Oregon. I had Texas A&M. Uh, Texas A&M dropping all the way to number 23, uh, one spot up from last week after their win against Miami. So let's talk about number seven. Well, we already talked about number seven, USC. My number seven was Notre Dame. Yours was uh, Michigan. Michigan jumping all the way up to fourth. Uh, which which kind of bites me in, in the back because I had them at six and I was hoping they would stay at number five so that Clemson would stay at four. But uh, let's talk about number six, which was, as I said, for me, Michigan, for you, it was Utah. For the actual rankings, it was Oklahoma. Uh, obviously, Utah here was your pick. I had them a little bit higher. You're both awfully high on them. And then obviously the loss to Florida Number five, Clemson. You got this one right. I had Utah at number five. I had Clemson at number four. All right. So then I'm going to, as we said, Michigan's four. You had Texas A&M. Uh, any, anything else on Michigan or Texas A&M for you? Now let's talk about how I was right about Georgia, Bama, and Ohio State. That sounds a lot better. Yeah. So you nailed these three. Ohio State three, Bama two, Georgia one. I at least had all three of those teams in the top. However, uh, I had Georgia at third with Ohio State and Bama at, uh, you know, one and two, respectively. So I'll be honest with you, at this point in the season, you are dead on. Uh, but I'll, I'll let you tell me why you rated those teams so well and uh, what what made you, well, what made you right here? Yeah, so, I mean, the biggest thing is, in my opinion, number one's always going to be number one until proven otherwise. And Georgia found a way to be number one last year. So, and they've done nothing but come out this year and say, Hey, 
we're still dogs, man. They are still beasts. Every week they look better and better and better. Obviously, they embarrassed Oregon, so that's a huge win. And uh, again, I thought that their offense was going to get better, returning the, the battery that they returned. So I was high on Georgia from the get-go. And then uh, Alabama, I mean, you can't... Again, they were number two for a reason. They got Nick Saban. I wasn't going to rock that boat um, at all. So that's why I had them at number two. And then Ohio State, I think, has the most upside returning most players in college football and having the most important role players being returned in college football. So I was definitely high on Ohio State as well. And I expected them to at least get things taken care of early and hopefully start to gel together as a team, which is something I feel like they haven't really been able to do in years past. So let's see if they can continue that uh, that spree. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, George is just taking care of business so much that it's it's hard to call anyone else the number one team. And then Bama is Bama. Ohio State is, I think, the team that is closest to those two right now. Yeah, I think one, two, three, pretty easy right there, pretty simple right there. And, uh, yeah, so you, so you definitely got it more right than I did with uh, Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, and Clemson in the right places, and Michigan and USC uh, in the top 10. Uh, me, I, I just got Oklahoma State correct in the right place and uh, had... Michigan, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, and Bama. Not in the right place, but at least in the top 10. So I think that pretty much covers it. And I think that's pretty much everything to review from the week that was uh, week three of college football. Anything else that you got? Or are you ready to uh, sign off and get into the awesomeness that is week four coming up very shortly? Yeah, the awesome thing about looking at uh, the top 10 from when we predicted it before the season to even now, there's always so much change, and there's still going to be so much more change, and that's why we love this sport. We love college football. This has been One Jock. And One Nerd College Football Talk. Make sure you follow us on social media at One Nerd One Jock CFB on Twitter, and we'll see you again shortly. (laughs) 